Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams one film at a time. Starting with his debut as a film composer in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. Now, here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hi, everybody. As always, it's good to have you here for this episode as we step into a very busy 1973 for John Williams. The year brought him back to work with a couple of directors with whom he had some success and also featured his last time working on a movie musical. That musical, Tom Sawyer, is the focus of this episode. If you want to be a purist, I suppose you could say that Williams did work on another movie musical about 17 years later, but since the idea of making Hook into a musical was scrapped before filming started, I don't count that. So, let's celebrate and remember Tom Sawyer as the end of John Williams' work in movie musicals, which turned out to be a lucrative and creative venture for him. While Tom Sawyer didn't bring Williams the type of notoriety and accolades that he received for Fiddler on the Roof two years earlier, it did give him a chance to work with two of the best songwriters in the business. Before talking about those songwriters, I want to talk about how John Williams came to be involved in this musical project. If you've been following every episode of this podcast, you know the name Arthur Jacobs. He was the producer of Goodbye Mr. Chips and was enjoying his new career as producer after years as a talent agent. He didn't seem to care that the two musicals he had made, Dr. Doolittle and Goodbye Mr. Chips, made very little profit. I'm willing to bet that he saw the success of Fiddler on the Roof and was certain he could make musicals as popular. He wanted to make original musicals, which could be risky, but when he made up his mind to put his paycheck into musicals, Jacobs got the talents of the Sherman brothers, Richard and Robert, and signed a five-picture deal with the songwriting duo. At the time of this new deal, the Shermans were already known as the most prolific songwriters in Hollywood. They wrote the song scores for Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, among others. They won Oscars for Mary Poppins, and once they were free from their contracts as employees of Walt Disney Studios, they looked for opportunities with other studios. The deal with Jacobs came at the right time, it seemed, for the Sherman Brothers. The two wanted to write a musical version of Mark Twain's novel Tom Sawyer, and took control over not just the songs, but the screenplay as well. They took some liberties with the screenplay, as just about every screenwriter does, including adding in a 4th of July picnic and diluting some of the more dangerous moments in the novel to keep it family-friendly. Keep in mind that this was long before the days of the PG-13 rating, so a film was either rated G, PG, or R. I haven't read the novel since high school, so I only remembered certain aspects of the story when I watched it for this episode. I did feel that the story lagged a bit in places and that a song could have livened things up a bit. The Shermans are known for putting in a song that didn't have an absolute purpose to move the story along, like the Chimney Sweeper song in Mary Poppins. But I think just one or two more songs would not have seemed out of place. When it came to write the songs, the Shermans wanted a reliable orchestrator and arranger, just as they had used on all of their previous musicals. Erwin Kostel had been the orchestrator on all of the Sherman Brothers' film scores, and I can't determine whether or not he was considered to work on Tom Sawyer. 
It seemed like Costo had a job working on a musical version of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story for television at the time, so he was likely busy. With Jacobs as producer, he knew the only person that was right for the job was the man who helped him on Goodbye Mr. Chips, John Williams. The Sherman brothers and Williams started working together around January 1972, a few months after Fiddler on the Roof made its way into movie theaters. The trio whittled down more than three dozen songs to ten for pre-filming recording. During this time, Williams won his Oscar for Fiddler on the Roof, making the Shermans more excited about their writing partner. From what I have read about the working process for the Sherman brothers, the two write their songs in pretty good detail, but Williams was the man to give their music the right flavor. Basically, it was John's show, Richard Sherman said, about the hands-off approach he and his brother had once recording started. Once the song melodies were completed, Williams went to work adding in a harmonica to highlight the tune in one place, then add a banjo elsewhere to help accentuate the scene in question. Tom Sawyer, believe it or not, is just the third original musical of which Williams was associated, but he seemed to find a niche in this genre, and I am certain it helped him understand how to be a better orchestrator while writing his own original scores. I think he did a better job as a ranger and orchestrator here than he did in Valley of the Dolls or Goodbye Mr. Chips. You can hear the influences from the Reavers in the underscore and in some of the songs, and his work as orchestrator on three previous musicals certainly informed his work in Tom Sawyer. That's obvious from the very start of the film when we see Tom Sawyer decide to skip school and run to the Mississippi River to meet the River Queen boat as she docks. For almost the entire run from the town to the river, a run of about 90 seconds on screen, John Williams gives us an overture of sorts that features some song melodies we will hear later. The first one we hear comes on the harmonica, crying out our main character's name in music as it will be heard in a song later. Thank you. 
now we're coming up to the shot of the Mississippi River. This is where the first song comes in, appropriately called River Song. The male voice in the song was Charlie Pride, a sort of well-known country singer at the time. The song surely had to draw comparisons to Old Man River from Showboat, and those comparisons are valid. Charlie Pride puts his own stamp on this ode to the mighty Mississippi and provides soulful tone to start the film. I'm not going to go through all the songs in this film, but because it's the song about the title character, I'll play a bit of the song Tom Sawyer sung by Oscar winner Celeste Holm. She plays Aunt Polly, the woman who is raising Tom and is frustrated daily by him skipping school and coming home late for dinner. 
I would imagine Aunt Polly sang this song every day. Uncouth, irreverent, wild, that irresponsible child. I tried to teach him, but who can reach him? He never can be found. Leaves his trash around, just won't learn, and he just keeps turning away. Tom Sawyer, the devil's got him in tow. Tom Sawyer, he's grief and worry and woe. He's late for supper and late for school, and he's taking me for a fool. I'll bet Tom Sawyer will be the death of me yet. Tom goes up with hawks, swimming in the nude. Tom tears all his clothes, and he talks so crude. Hides dead snakes and things underneath the stairs. And in Sunday school, never knows his prayers. Tom's a good boy, Tom is kind. Tom holds wonders in his mind. Tom's an orphan, can't you see? He needs our love and sympathy. Tom Sawyer, that Tom is turning me gray. Tarnation, he'll never learn to obey. I know that boy could be such a joy to me if he'd only be good. But he's always wasting his time away, exasperating me every day. No ambition and no respect. He'll be the death of me yet. And then there's the song for the famous scene when Tom Sawyer tricks the other boys in town to paint the fence for him. The song for this scene, called Gratifaction, is fun and would be called a showstopper if it were put on the stage. The melody is great, but really pay attention to the musical bridge when Williams puts in some fun piano playing without making it juvenile. That's what makes this song enjoyable. Yes, it's being sung by kids, but the instruments are pretty much grown up, except for that xylophone clinking away every once in a while. Work? Well, ain't that funny. We ain't doing this for money. Heck, it's a regular privilege to be occupied. It's a source of pride. Anyone could swim and fish on a Saturday. Anyone could just lay down. Laying in a hammock, laying in the grass like a lazy, no good hound. They just know that I'm soft hearted. I was barely getting started. Now I'm giving all of my fun away. They keep begging me. And I'm generous. I mean, when's the last time you could slosh a bucket full of wash on a mile of fins? Look at him smiling and having a time, and all at my expense. And you get that deep down inside, gratification, gratifying, satisfaction. Well, I mean that deep down inside, gratification. Oh, how good you feel when your shoulders do the wheel. You don't need nothing except ambition. Elbow grease for ammunition and bang, what a righteous blow you get. Honest sweat, it's a natural bet. Anyone who puts his nose to the grindstone's gonna get 
Once the boys figure out that Tom has tricked them into doing his work, they chase him to the river, where they all jump in and wash the splatter paint off their clothes and faces. Most of the music is filled with a reprise of gratification, with a little variation on some music Williams wrote for the Reavers making an appearance on the strings. Another great musical touch by Williams is putting in orchestral hits as each boy hits the water. John Williams puts music in the big scene when Engine Joe kills Doc Robinson in the cemetery, then makes a homeless man named Muff Potter believe he killed the doctor. Because Tom and Huck are sneaking into the cemetery and watching from behind a gravestone, you'll hear plucked harp strings as Williams is sneaking around music for this scene. The flutes start playing an ascending scale as Engine Joe gets mad, knocks out Muff, then pushes the doctor into an empty grave. Then you'll hear two stingers to highlight the two stabs of the knife. Note that there was no song melody in that music. Williams could have put in a bit of the Tom Sawyer song, since Tom is in the scene, but there's really no need for it here. There's sort of a musical theme written for Engine Joe, played on the woodwinds in that ascending scale you heard. It's mostly mood music that will be used later in the film. One of those moments, unfortunately, was not the courtroom scene when Tom tells everyone that Engine Joe killed the doctor. Joe throws a knife at Tom's head, just missing him, then jumps out the window. This would have been a great moment for writing some music to sync with these very specific moments, but the scene goes without music. 
The quasi-theme for Injun Joe could have worked very well here, as well as later when Joe sneaks into Aunt Polly's house, presumably to kill Tom. There's a little music to highlight Joe's entry into the house, and I detect a little call of the Tom Sawyer song at the start on what I think is the clarinet, but the rest is just coloring the scene. This leads into a reprise of the Tom Sawyer song by Aunt Polly as she laments over the thought that Tom might be dead after she learns he has run away. Tom Sawyer, that irresponsible child. Tom goes off with Huck, swimming in the moon. Tom holds wonders in his mind. Just won't learn, and he just keeps turning away. Tom Sawyer, the devil's got him in tow. Raises Cain in school if he'll ever go. Though he tries my poor heart so. Spare him, and Lord, take care of my tongue. There's one more good scene with underscore, and it takes place inside a cave where Tom takes his supposed girlfriend, Becky Thatcher, to find a freshwater spring. They don't know Joe has been hiding in there, but once they do, the two are chased by Joe deep into the cave.
Williams does pretty well with hurried strings and woodwinds to keep an urgent pace as Tom and Becky run through the cavern looking for an escape. You'll hear a stinger at the end as Engine Joe falls to his death. So Tom becomes a better kid after all the drama, while Huck Finn decides to remain on his own. Tom gets a two-week trip to St. Louis with Becky and her father, and we get a final rendition of the River Song to send off Tom and end the film.
I was very pleased with the amount of original music Williams was able to write for the Tom Sawyer musical. Before settling in to watch this movie, I was worried that the Shermans would not allow any music other than their own in the film, or Williams's original music would be reduced dramatically in the finished film, as it had to a large degree in Goodbye Mr. Chips. But we got some very good music cues, and a couple other smaller ones that paid homage to the Sherman Brothers' work, but still were very much John Williams' compositions. So I didn't give my full review of the movie at the start of this episode, as I usually do, so I'll continue it here. I really enjoyed Johnny Whitaker as Tom Sawyer. And also in this movie is Jodie Foster as Becky Thatcher, and it's just her third film. She looks every bit the talented actress we would know later on. While watching this, I couldn't believe that the girl playing the virtuous Becky Thatcher would play a child prostitute and taxi driver three years later. I wonder if Williams knew this would be his last movie musical while he was working on it. At the time, movie musicals were continually less popular with the movie going public. For the first time in at least a decade, a musical was not in the top 10 grossing films in 1973. And only Barbara Streisand musicals were able to crack the top 10 for the next few years. The Sherman Brothers continued to make musicals together through the 1970s, but none of them achieved the success of their previous hits. Arthur Jacobs died of a heart attack in June 1973, just three months after Tom Sawyer hit theaters, and about halfway through production on the musical version of Huckleberry Finn, a sequel to Tom Sawyer. The Shermans were the songwriters on that film, but Fred Werner took John Williams' place as orchestrator since Williams was extremely busy in 1973. So, the five-picture deal the Shermans had ended after just two films. For his final musical project, John Williams received an Academy Award nomination, shared with the Sherman Brothers, in the category Best Song Score or Adaptation Score. Highlighting the fact that musicals were on the way out, there were only three nominees in this category for 1973 instead of the usual five. Along with Tom Sawyer, the adaptation of Jesus Christ Superstar was nominated, along with the adaptation of Scott Joplin's ragtime music for The Sting. Winning the Oscar for The Sting was Marvin Hamlish, who would go on to win two more Oscars that night for writing music. I'll talk more about that when I get to the Cinderella Liberty episode in just a few weeks. So with Williams knowingly or unknowingly putting musicals behind him, he marched right on to his next film score assignment. This reunited him with director Robert Altman, who gave him the opportunity to have a lot of fun with the score to Images the previous year. In the next episode, I'll talk about the direction Altman gave Williams when it was time to write the music for The Long Goodbye. Feel free to let me know what you think about the podcast, about John Williams' career, or just film scoring in general by sending me an email to jeffswim at aol.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at jeffswim, or post a comment on the Podbean app. I always enjoy hearing from you. Until we meet again, the baton is down. <laughs>